Romans 8 tonight. Great passage. My discipleship group we just started is memorizing this whole chapter this year. So Lord willing, at the Thanksgiving service this year coming up, the Lord doesn't come back first and we're still alive. Um, we hope to be able to say that together as a group for everyone. Beautiful passage has to be one of the best in the Bible. Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Sorry, I lost my place. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, circle that, all things work together for good. It doesn't just work together for good, because there's a condition with it. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the goal of salvation, by the way. Not just a ticket to heaven, but to make you progressively like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now the questions, and then the answers. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If, Jesus, if God didn't spare his son and he died on the cross for you, won't he give you all the lesser things? The idea is. And the answer is, of course, yes. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Seven things. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, this is Psalm 44, 22. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, literally in the Greek, but, because it is a contrast. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was a kid growing up, and if you're a Christian and you grew up in church, you probably had a similar experience if you were in circles that preached the Bible. Um, I grew up knowing the Roman's Road. And the Roman's Road was designed to use key verses in passages in the book of Romans to lay out for someone the plan of salvation so that they could know God. The verses go in this order, I believe. Romans 3.23, 1 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, the first thing was in that plan anyways, that you needed to help everyone identify themselves as a sinner and in, in what that meant. And then you'd go to a verse like, Romans 6.23, which would say, well, if you're a sinner, well, what will happen to you if that's the result? And then you'd quote, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you would put an option before them. You're a sinner, and that'll either result in eternal death, or if you trust Jesus, you can have eternal life, and that's the way it would go. And then you would say, well, how is that possible? And then you would say, well, Romans 5.8 would be the next stop on Romans Road. But God, King James, how I learned it, commendeth, we would say today, demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even though you were a sinner and you were spiritually dead, Jesus died for you on the cross, took your place, became your substitute, and made it possible for you to have eternal life because his death and resurrection. Well then, how do I get that? You would, that would be kind of the last place on the Romans road, you'd stop because then you'd be looking for that person to make a decision and you would tell them, as Bev uh, accurately said tonight, uh, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you need to call on him to trust you. And th those are all good things and, and is right as far as they say. But I, as I look at Romans, I would find that um, there's been a little bit of a detour on the Romans road, and, and you'll find that it weaves through the chapters. It does go around, but not through Romans 8, which is our text tonight. And what you'll find that Romans road doesn't include, but is actually true, is that you do get saved all by grace. It's all by calling on Jesus and him doing for you what you could never do for yourself. Um, but the Romans road doesn't say is that the love that God has for you will result in your love for him. And truthfully, if you're honest to the book of Romans anyways, that the Romans road has two lanes on it. <laughs> God's love for you, which sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He died for you. Without that, there is no forgiveness of sins. But it also has another lane on it, and that is your love for God. And they go hand in hand. And I say it that way because that's really what our passage concludes tonight. We all know verses 31 through 39 in this text. They're very familiar territory. If you're a Christian, it's probably some of the favorite verses that most people know and even can quote quite a bit, especially the verse that we're going to focus a little bit on tonight. We are more than conquerors, but through him who loved us, the one who is loving us, it says in the text. And this is a passage that really is saturated, dominated with statements about how powerful the love of God is. And it is. I mean, there's no doubt about it in our mind. And there should be no hesitation in our saying it. Because what shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, it's mentioned in the love of God twice. And then a middle one in between. I mean, it's all about that. But what most people skip out on is the verse that was referenced by Deborah earlier that leads into this text. That this love relationship that God has with us through salvation is a mutual one. Salvation is not God loving you and you not loving him back in any tangible way and going on your merry way as if it never happened. That's not how it works in scripture. Romans 8, 28, which maybe, maybe the most prolific verse other than John three sixteen that people can quote from memory. And we know 
And by the way, which is in contrast to verse 26, for it says, we do not know. So here's what he's saying. We don't know this, but here's something that's certain in contrast. We do know this, verse 28. And we know that, now notice, here's the condition. For those who love God. You remember how Paul says at the end of his life, he says the same thing. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, For I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or therefore, there is laid up for me the crown, which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But then he says, but not to me only. In other words, other people can get the crown, which is righteousness. Other people can have this crown and be in heaven. Is it, what, what's the reason why they'll be there? He says, but he says, but not to me only, but to all them also who what? Love his appearing. So they loved him while they're on, they're on earth. And they loved him so much they can't wait to see him. So when they see him, it's going to be the culmination of a life loved, loving him the whole way down the road. That's what Paul's talking about. Here's what he says. You know what? All things that God has planned for how your salvation is going to work out. And by the way, don't read the verse by itself because if you did, you might think all things are going to work together for good. So when you get cancer and it doesn't work for your good, you might think, well, so much for that verse. But the verse isn't talking about that. It's not saying all things meaning comprehensively, all things meaning you lose your job, it's still going to be good. All things in the passage is what? All the things he's been talking through all the way through chapter 8. And believe it or not, we're going to get to it in a minute, it's even going to be including the seven things listed by Paul in his little list. He's going to say persecution famine, nakedness, peril, danger, sore. He's going to make all these awful things, and he's going to say in, same phrase, in all these things. He's going to say it again. In fact, in our text, he's going to use a little phrase, all these things, three times. 28, 32, 37. He's going to tell you, you know what all these things are? All the bad stuff that you can think of. I mean the really bad stuff. God's going to take your life circumstances, and he's going to use them to form and shape your security in his love, and he's going to stoke the flame and the passion of your love for him in your heart through them. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to say that's what's true of people who are Christians, that all is going to work together for your good, your eternal good, if you love him. For those who love him, it says, and those who are the called chosen by God according to his purpose. So the Romans road tonight is about a love relationship that you can have with God. God starts it, he gives it to you, and you reciprocate back in loving him. That's crucial. Can I say I went through all that to say this? Because that's how you live out the victorious Christian life in all circumstances. All circumstances is that you have a mutual love, God and you, together. Only that can allow you to endure and have victory in the most difficult times in your life. Let me show you in detail. Please stick with me. And this is a good study for you, not only tonight to learn some things and apply them to your life, but it's a great lesson, honestly, in how to study the Bible. There's a lot of grammatical things that are very helpful um, if you can observe them. Let me give you the broad, bracketed, big picture, and then we're going to narrow it down to the little one. If 
you'll notice how chapter 8 is put together. It begins with a little phrase that most of us, I would guess, are remotely familiar with. And it's a little phrase that Paul loves. He loves to use it. 13 times in Romans and many more outside of this epistle. And it's a little phrase, in Christ Jesus. He starts off the first two verses with it, 1 and 2. And then he ends the chapter to bracket the whole thing in the last verse with it. Because what he wants to do in showing you that is everything in Romans 8 is about what it means to have a Christian life that's in Christ Jesus. That results in victory. He says, here's one of it, one of the main components. There is therefore now, now because of Jesus, there's no condemnation for those. See again the qualifying phrase, remember those? For those who love God. Here's another qualifying. See, there's no condemnation, but where do you get the no condemnation? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free second time. In Christ Jesus. So what is true of people, they're not going to be condemned. People who are not condemned by their sin are going to be people who are living free from it. Right? So if you have been set free in conquering or not being condemned by the penalty of sin, you're not condemned to hell, then you also are freed from the power of sin. They go together. There are too many Christians who believe that you can be emancipated from the penalty of sin, so I don't go to hell, but I don't have to live in freedom from the power of sin. I can live pretty much the same way I did before. Paul says that's not the love relationship with God that he talks about. Here's what he says. In Christ Jesus, our people, and I put these two things, they are not condemned by the penalty or the power of sin. Either one of them. But listen, it's more than that. Did you know that being in Christ Jesus and having a love relationship with him is not just to get you into heaven? Flip it over. It is also to get heaven into you. Say, And he's going to show this to you. How does the chapter end? Same little phrase, in Christ Jesus. But look how it's used. Verse 37. No, in all these things... All these things, what? All those things I just listed in verse 35, which are supported by why he quotes Psalm 42, 44, 22, which I hope to get to show you. We are more than conquerors. It's one Greek word with a prefix that we get the word super from. So if you had superman, it would have this prefix would mean the super part. So we could say super conqueror, completely victorious. It's the only time in the Bible, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Paul made it up because it is nowhere else in Greek literature. It means the greatest warrior who never loses a fight. He beats everybody. Ultimately, he beats everybody. Okay? That's the idea. For you are a super conqueror through him who loved us. Now, hold on. Why does that matter? Because what have, we, what have we seen in this chapter about what it means for Jesus to love us? Well, the non-condemnation part is because he loved us and died for us. Remember I read Romans 8, 1 and 2? Look at verse 3. Why in Christ Jesus are we free? Because for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You can't be saved by keeping the Mosaic law. Bev is right. You can't do it by works. It's all by righteousness that is in Jesus. 
weakened by God, but, but God did it. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, here's the word again, he condemns sin. So remember what verse 1 says, no condemnation. Well, how does no condemnation happen? Because Jesus condemns sin. Later on at the end, in verse 34, he says, who is he who condemns? The idea is you can't be. Part of being in Christ and having a mutual love relationship with him means that there's no condemnation. You can't go to hell. But it's more than that. What also will be true? Well, not only did Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins give us no condemnation, but also says no conquered. We cannot be conquered, ultimately. He says we are more than conquerors through that same love. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. What love of God? Well, that he demonstrated when Jesus died for us when we were on godly Romans Road. When he died for us. That is the basis of no condemnation. But it's also the basis of no conquered. We can't be... See, our Christian life is not just something... It's a bookend where it's good at the beginning and good at the end and we suffer defeat all the way through. No, he says, you know, the same power that saved you from your sin so you don't have to be judged and have God's wrath on you is the same power that you live by every single day, he says. That's what love means. And so a super love, I wrote down, a super love ought to result in a super life. Not a perfect one for us, but a patterned one. One like Jesus has. So the love relationship means two things. The beginning of the chapter, you're not condemned. Number two, you're not conquered by any of your foes. And that mutual love relationship is what makes that possible. In our text, can we narrow it down a little bit tonight as we have a few minutes left? It says in verse 31 through 39, there are three statements. If you have a pen, underline all of them. There are three love statements. What shall we say to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know that this love, first love statement is true? Because God did not spare his own son. His own son. He didn't spare him. Abraham did not spare his son. God didn't spare his. In contrast, but gave him up for us all. Then how will he not freely give us all things? If God gave you salvation, he'll give you sanctification. If God gave you salvation, he'll give you glorification. Because Jesus can give it all to you. So he says, verse 35, then what can separate us from this love? So if God has this love for me, and it's not just to get me into heaven, but get to heaven into me, what would that look like? And then Paul's going to answer our big question tonight. Based on the love of Jesus and the cross and his death and resurrection for us, verse 34, what does that mean for us every day? And so he's going to have this last little bracket. Verses 35 and 39 have the same little question in it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Just asked slightly in a different way. And he's going to tell you this is what the Christian victorious life looks like. It doesn't look like when Jesus loves you 
that you won't have problems. It doesn't look like that. Do you remember when the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee? And there's numerous places, Mark 4 probably being the most detailed. And they were rowing for all they were worth. And Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping. You know, these boats were maybe as big as one of our long, longest pews in the back. And you've got a couple of them with 13 people in them. So it's a little crowded, but Jesus was. There's a little level bare, like a seat in the back, so to speak. And he was probably on the bottom of the ship. And maybe some sort of makeshift pillow sleeping. And the storm was enormous to the point where professional fishermen were afraid for their life. I mean, they couldn't bail fast enough to keep the boats afloat. I mean, and they were afraid. Like millions of people are about the coronavirus. I mean, afraid. I mean, they're afraid that they're in a boat in a storm that they're going to sink and there's nothing they can do. You ever felt that way? Maybe not even about the virus, but other things. I mean, you get the doctor's diagnosis, and you're now completely worried. Maybe you weren't even a person riddled by anxiety before, but now you are. Because we don't like uncertainty. We don't like the fact that we can't control what's happening in our lives, and that there's nobody else who can. And that's what they felt like, out of control, because they're supposed to be in control. They fished for a living. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee. There wasn't any storm they'd ever faced that they couldn't handle. Now there was. Now there was. And so they are slightly angry at God. You'd never do that, right? Why did you do that, Lord? Why didn't you do that? You ever, you, you've never said that, right? They do. They shake them. Master, come on. You don't understand. Do you understand what's happening? We're going to die. That was the WLW translation. We're going to die. And you could care less. And Jesus stands up and rebukes the, the sea and says what? Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Right? Isn't that what he says? We missed a phrase. You didn't quote it with me. He, they did say, Master, don't you care? We're perishing. But what did they say first? Don't you care? Don't you love? Because what was the version? If you cared, you would, we wouldn't have to wake you up. In fact, if you cared, you wouldn't have put us in this position in the first place. If you really cared, why in the world are we in the storm at all? And that's what sometimes we say. Why am I in this hospital? Why did I get this sickness? Why am I having this surgery? Why did my relative and my loved one, my friend, die? Why? Why am I at home without a job? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he care? You know what the victorious Christian life is? It's being secure in the love of God. Secure in the love of God that you trust him in every circumstance and every situation. And here's what Paul says. He says, here's what my life is like, and now get this, every day. And he quotes a psalm, Psalm 44, and I would encourage you to go home and read the whole thing because it's a military psalm. It's about David and being faithful to God, and then God lets his enemies run over him. 
He goes, here we are. We haven't forgotten you. Our heart is still right with you. We still worship you. We still love you. And our enemies are dishonoring us. They're disrespecting us. They're beating us all the time. He says, and this is where the heart, and it says, in the middle of that, here's, we are killed all day long. God, we love you, obey you, we do what you want, and we're supposed to have victories. You ever said that? God, hey, why do you think, God, I get up and read my Bible every morning? Why do you think I pray? Why do you think I'm at all the church services? Why do you think I don't get drunk and I don't do this? And I do... Why? Because you're supposed to give me victory. You're not supposed to let bad things really happen in my life. And the day Psalmist David is saying, hey, here we are. We trusted in you and gave our life to you and we, our hearts are faithful to you. And our enemies are running us over to the point where he quotes that verse and says, for your sake... We are being killed all day long. The other use of the phrase all day long, the only other one in Romans is chapter 10 and verse 21, where it means the whole day. In other words, here's my lifestyle. Here's what happens to me constantly, Paul said. And then he's going to enumerate them. He says, you know what my life is like every day? Because God loves me so much? Well, let me tell you. And here's the words. Tribulation, and the word means to be pressed together. You and trouble are being smushed together. You ever feel like you just can't get away from it? That everywhere you turn, you ever have you get up and go, this is one of those days. <laughs> and it starts off before you even get in the car. And then you get in the car and it gets worse. You get to work, it gets even worse. And you said, whoa, I'd like to go home and start over again. That's pressed together. Tribulation, Paul says, here's my day is... He goes, distress. Now listen to this. It means literally a narrow, confined space. You ever feel like you're claustrophobic because of all the bad things? I mean, like you, feel, you have this little place to maneuver because you're just bombarded with stuff. It's, really, it's an emotional term. So let's throw in together all that. Because the persecution and the tribulation, and he calls danger later on. And he says, you know what all those things are driving me nuts? The fear, the anxiety, the depression, the uncertainty, the surprise, you know, I'm emotional about this. And then he goes on a bunch of physical terms. He says persecution, people are beating him in prison. If you ever read his life, you know that if he ever took his shirt off in public, you would probably not be able to hold it back because you'd be throwing it up your cookies. Because he looked like a mangled mess. And then he says on top of that... Famine, which is literally the word for I'm constantly hungry. So here's a guy, who, not because everywhere he goes there's a famine in the world, it's because he's constantly hungry. He probably never, hardly ever gets as much to eat as he would like. Nakedness does not mean he is not without clothes. It means literally to have not enough clothes. Because in Israel it goes hot and it goes cold, and sometimes at the same day. So he's going places, he doesn't have enough food to eat, He's tired all the time. He's worried because every time he has to look over his shoulder because someone's out to kill him. And he doesn't know where he's going to stay because he's homeless. And he's, it says danger. Danger meaning at risk all the time. And in one passage in Corinthians, he says perils of robbers, perils. And he goes perils, perils, perils. I mean, that's the word danger. I mean, he goes through a whole list of perils. I mean, everywhere he wants, somebody wanted him dead. And he says sword. That's what the Romans wielded. He was always worried that he was going to be in prison and capital punishment, and which eventually ended his life. 
They walked him out one day and came out of his cell. Two soldiers walked him outside of Rome because you couldn't be killed inside the city limits when you're a citizen. He knelt down and they cut his head off. And that was what he thought about a lot until the day it really happened. But he says, you know what? That's the victorious Christian life. Because you know what the victorious Christian life is? It's not having no enemies, but it's victoriously struggling against them. That's the victorious Christian life, he says. We are killed all day long. We are regarded as, last Sunday I talked about evaluation. It's the same word. We are evaluated as, considered by God, sheep for the slaughter. It's like you've got a million of them and here goes one more. Sometimes you felt like, where are you? But notice this. Last thing. In Christ Jesus, preposition, in all these things. How do they go together? Can I tell you this? You cannot face and and know God's love and work through them, in all these things, if you are not in Christ. But if you are in Christ... He'll love you enough if you trust him to work through in all these things. So in all these things and in Christ, that's the answer. It's the same way he talks about, because Paul loves these little lists. In Galatians 5, he gives you, he t- says, you, have to, you can't be the works of the flesh. And then he lists them all. Drunkenness, homosexuality, immorality, deso- deceiving, lying, stealing. He mentions all of them. Here's the works. And then he says, now let me say the, wor- that's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, against such things. He lists all of these. Because every once in a while in his epistles, he has these lists. Why? Because emphatically, he wants you to know, instead of just saying one little line, hey, be spiritual. He says, no, let me tell you what spiritual looks like. Don't be fleshly. Well, how would I know? Well, let me give you a list of some examples. And so in our text, he says, you know what? What does it mean to not be able to be separated from the love of Christ? Well, let me give you a list. Boom, 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 all seven of these. When he loves you, see, these things can't even conquer you. You don't have to be given in. You don't have to be controlled by anxiety or fear or depression. You don't have to let physical things and outside forces control you. He says, no, you're a super conqueror. That's what my love has done for you. Not just someday when you die. Right here every day, all day long, no matter how bad it gets. See, he says, you are a super conqueror for him who loves us. So the two little lists are this. See, all the seven bad things? Here's what it means. When God loves you, right, and you are experiencing victory, all the things presently in your life that are really bad, you can conquer them. But he's not done because he's got two little lists. The first one is about all the bad things you presently go through. His love helps you conquer all of them. But then he says this, but let me tell you else what I'm persuaded by. I'm going to give you another little list. Verse 38. For I am sure, and here we go, not death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, And by the way, if I didn't cover them all, let me throw the gamut phrase in there. Anything else in all of creation, this is how much he wants you to know that comprehensive is this victory. This victory is so comprehensive, it's listen to all, in all these things, in all of creation. So here's what it means tonight. You look around, you know Jesus and you're in him, look around. 
anywhere in the world, anyone, anything, whether you can see them or not, angels, principality and powers are military orders of angelic beings that you cannot see. He says the enemies you can see, you can conquer all of them. The enemies you cannot see, you have conquered all of them. How? In Christ Jesus. Through his death and resurrection. So you don't have to be defeated. One last thing. You don't have to be. But when you live the victorious Christian life, ready? It will look like you are. Because in the victorious Christian life, Paul's pattern of victory is the same pattern of Jesus's. See, when Jesus won the greatest victory in all of human history, it looked like he was suffering the greatest defeat. He was crucified on a cross as a failed criminal Messiah. And when he was asked to come down from it, people thought he didn't have the power even to do that. 2 Corinthians 13 says he was crucified in weakness that we might live in power. So here's what it is. See, the greatest victory looked like the greatest defeat. And can I tell you this? And this is why we don't live the victorious Christian life very often because we don't want that pattern. We do not want to, like to, embrace the weakness. We don't want to look like losers. I don't want the tribulation. I don't want it. I don't want the emotional turmoil, the distress. I don't want any of it. I don't want the fear. I don't want the anxiety. I don't want any of it. I don't want the fam. I don't want hungry. I want to have plenty of food, although you can't get it in the grocery store right now. I don't want to have not enough clothes. I want a closet or two full of them. That's not even talking about shoes, ladies. I don't want to be at risk. I don't want danger. I don't want to worry about my life being over. I don't want, I don't want any of those things. And here's what Jesus says. Often, not all the time, often my love includes those things. Why? So that I can prove to you how strong my love is for you. And that no matter what all those things come into your life, that you are more than a conqueror. Will you trust me? Will you live like you trust me? He says. See, the reality of salvation is this. God demonstrated his love for you. And expects you to demonstrate your love for him. Follow the line of love in Romans 5, 8, 12, 13, 15. Those are all the chapters that have love in it. What you'll find is if you cut it in the middle, that here's the first half of the book is God demonstrates his love for you. The last half of the book is all about you loving God and others. That's Christianity. It is not, as great as it is, it is not just you and God vertically. God loves me, he died for me, isn't that great? That is great. But God's love vertically has to result in God's love horizontally. And one of those things in Romans 8 is this, that you live out your love life. And you live in victory and conquer it even in the worst of circumstances because Not you're great, because the love of God is great. And if you live that out by his grace and for his glory, he says nothing can separate us. Wouldn't you like to live that way? He says it's available for those who love God.
and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. That's not easy to say because I know what your love often means. Tim said it tonight, love is cruciform. You love your son. There can be no greater love than this. No greater love than what you, Father, had for your son. And yet it says you didn't spare him. And if you didn't spare him, you may not spare us either. In this very chapter, in Romans 8, 17, it says we are co-heirs with him, and we love that. We're going to sit at his right hand, and we're going to be rulers, and we're co-heirs, and we love that stuff. Same verse, co-sufferers. Because they go together. We share in his sufferings. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that I might be made conformable unto his death. If we want to follow the pattern, if we want to live out the love, if we want to share in the victory, we may need to share in the suffering. Father, tonight, perhaps in this room, there are people who are struggling tonight, emotionally, physically, sicknesses, chronic problems that never seem to go away and perhaps even get worse. The victory is still theirs because they're in Christ Jesus. May you teach us more and more by your spirit and grace and word to be the conquerors, the super conquerors that we are in Christ. Help us to live it out every day as Paul said, all day long. May we embrace it and follow in your steps. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.